Praise God. All right. Well, turn to our master text this morning in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. And we've been um, on this series, as you're turning there, I'll, I'll just give a few thoughts of introduction here, that we've been on this series, Greater Grace, The Secrets to Unusual Divine Favor. And if you haven't figured this out already, the common theme that's going to be woven in throughout this series is that one of the secrets to walking in God's divine favor is learning how to recognize pride in our lives and walk in humility. Now, the master text that we're about to read is actually a really good choice for this Palm Sunday because Palm Sunday represents the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And that set the stage, of course, for the ultimate arrest and then execution of our Lord. And it was during this time that we get to read about an interesting, a very important event in the life of the disciple Peter that gives us some object lessons for our lives. So let's go ahead and read that master text. Stand with me, if you will, as we honor the reading of the word. We're going to read a couple different sections, Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35. And then we're going to jump down to verse uh, 69. So verse 31 says, Then Jesus told them, talking about his disciples, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, This very night... Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And let's jump down to verse 69. And that reads, now Peter, now this is, of course is after the arrest of Jesus, okay, Reading on from there, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there uh, went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you will. Well, a little insight about Peter to kick this off. Um, You know, Peter, if you didn't already know this, was a cocky, uh, rough-hewn man who often spoke before he engaged his brain. (laughs) He was impetuous. His methodology was often ready, fire, aim. Right? He acted first and then maybe thought about it later. Uh, Yet this man had incredible potential. He had a deep spiritual hunger, you see. This was the man who walked on the water with Jesus, the only one who did. 
Uh, he was also the man who had the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he was also the man that when he first met Jesus said, Go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. So he really did have a deep spiritual hunger about him. Um, he knew how broken he was and how much he needed the Lord, but that impetuous, prideful nature wouldn't die easily. See, he even one time went so far as to rebuke Jesus when the Lord said that he had to go to Jerusalem where he would then be crucified. And Peter pulled him aside and rebuked him and said, this will never happen, Lord. And he tried to talk him out of it. See, the man who was being praised by Jesus one minute for his revelation about who Jesus is was being harshly reprimanded by him the very next when Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. How would you like to be referred to as Satan by Jesus? <laughs> All right. Well, Jesus, however, once said to Peter that upon this rock, I will build my church. And the rock that he was referring to was, in fact, Peter himself. You know, Peter in the Greek, Petros, means rock. But in order to get to that point, Peter was going to have to walk through some wilderness experiences. He was going to have to get the pride burned out of his soul before he was ready enough and steady enough to be prepared for what God had in mind for him to do. And this master text showed us the beginning of one of the most important wilderness experiences in Peter's life, which taught him that he was not quite as strong as he thought. And keep that in mind as we proceed throughout this teaching, because we're going to apply that very thought right there to our lives as, as we proceed here. Now, this quote right here from Howard Zenizer is going to serve as our key concept today. So let's read this together, and then we're going to elaborate. Uh, we deeply need the humility to know ourselves as the dependent members of a great community of life. And this can indeed be one of the spiritual benefits of a wilderness experience. To know the wilderness is to know a profound humility, a profound Humility. To know the wilderness is to know a profound humility. To recognize one's littleness, to sense dependence and interdependence, indebtedness and responsibility. Isn't that good? Amen. Yeah? So the, the wilderness experiences that we all have in our lives from time to time will lead to a profound humility if we respond to them correctly. See, the wilderness, folks, listen, the wilderness often uproots the pride from our lives and gives us a, a proper perspective on ourselves, on life, on people, and certainly on God. See, we learn that we're not really the hot stuff that we thought we were, right? And how much we desperately need God and how, how much we desperately need other people. Now, about, I don't know, maybe it was a year ago, I can't remember exactly when I did the, the series on the dark night of the soul, but I want to revisit that briefly for this teaching, the dark night of the soul, which describes a spiritual crisis in the journey 
toward union with God. And this could be perceived as a spiritual dryness or perceived as a, a distance from God. Or it could refer to an extended time that a prayer or prayers are not being answered the way that you think that they should be. Or it could refer to a great sadness or a loss of some sort or, or a trauma, maybe. Or even a time of, of wrestling against a, a, a sinful vice of some sort that you're not making great progress in. Well, the term the dark night of the soul was actually coined by a poet who wrote a poem. Uh, that poet was um, St. John of the Cross, is how he became known in the 16th century. And uh, it seems that many good people have had to walk through this dark night of the soul. Many good people of God have had to walk through, through their own dark nights of the soul from time to time uh, before they were elevated to a place of great honor and great fruitfulness in their lives. So I want to just get your input this morning. Can you give me some examples of some people in Scripture who you think may have had to walk through their own dark nights of the soul? Just shout it out. Joseph, Joseph I heard that. Who else? Joseph. Moses, who else? David. David, I sit here. Mary? 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 Who else? John the, jo John the Baptist. Paul, absolutely Paul. Who else? Jesus, yeah, for sure. Hmm. Jeremiah, that's a good one. I didn't have him on my list. I got, a, I got my own list here on the screen, um, and I'm going to show you that. But those are all really good. So let me show you what I've got, and I'm going to show you uh, people in the Bible who experienced this and then the outcome that they experienced as a result of going through their own dark nights of the soul. So the first one is Joseph. I heard that one. Joseph spent, I believe it was 17 years in Egyptian slavery, and there he learned not only a humility that he didn't have before, but he also learned servitude. You know, Joseph was a cocky young man until he went through that, and he wasn't so cocky anymore, right? And he learned servitude. Moses, I heard you say that one, uh, Moses spent 40 years out in the wilderness, totally removed from the life that he was brought up in, and in that time he learned humility. Elijah spent, I believe it was two years out in the wilderness without human contact, uh, where there was a time of famine, and God actually brought him food uh, from ravens. Ravens brought him food, and he drank out of a brook. And so uh, he learned God's faithfulness in that process. Uh, David spent years out on the run, hiding out from a murderous King Saul that wanted to destroy him. And during that time, David learned intimacy with God. Then there was Abraham, who went through a 24-year experience believing for the promise, the son of promise. That was a 24-year experience that really stretched him, and in that process, he learned faith. And then there was Peter, of course, who we've already talked about, and he learned reliance on God. He also learned about the forgiveness of God. And then there was the Apostle Paul, who I heard you say that one too, and he learned about God's strength in his weakness. God's strength in his weakness. You know, before Donna and I started this church, um, we had our own perceptions about ministry and, and uh, actually some strong opinions about some pastors we've known and how they ought to do things. <laughs> uh, but, you know, 
after we were in ministry for just a little while, it gave us a new perspective. You know, the things that uh, we have gone through in ministry have uh, humbled us a little bit and helped us to see that um, some of those pastors, we ha- helped us to see some of those pastors in a, in a new light, uh, a new and more gracious light. And now we're not so quick to judge when we hear something or see something that makes us raise an eyebrow because we know that there's probably more to the story that we don't know about or that's not being said. So it's kind of easy to judge someone when you're not in their position or not in their shoes. But once you enter that world, their world, you see things in a completely different light. And then you're not so proud about it anymore, right? Okay. Now, if you want a book that will help you recognize the pride in your life and what humility really looks like, this book, The Imitation of Christ by 14th century German monk Thomas Akempis, uh, should be on your reading list. Um, I mean, wow. This book will smack you between the eyes with some well-aimed truth, that's for sure. Um, and here's a great insight. I'm going to give you one quote from the book. Here's a great insight that speaks the, to the potential benefit of affliction. We don't like that word very much, but I want to show you what he says about the potential benefit of affliction. Look at the screen. When good people are afflicted, tempted, or troubled with evil thoughts, then they understand better the great need they have of God, realizing that without Him, they can do nothing that is good. I really want you to get that perspective right there, that when you're tempted, troubled by evil thoughts, uh, do recognize that there is nothing good in you apart from Christ. And that's when we need to turn to the Lord, okay? So those times in our lives are actually good because it drives us to the Savior because we know without Him, we're lost. Without Him, we're nothing but corrupt. And sometimes you'll go on in life for a while and things will be going good and then you'll hit a brand new set of challenges, a brand new set of temptations, and you respond in a way you weren't expecting and you go, oh, yeah. I'm reminded, I'm nothing without him. There's no good in me apart from him. So we just need to get used to the fact that in our workplaces, in our churches, and even in our families, there's always going to be situations and people that frustrate you and maybe even afflict you. And we just have to accept the fact that there's never going to be a time in life when every little thing in your life is perfect. It's probably never going to happen. So trying to escape every time something gets difficult bypasses the chiseling process that God is trying to do in you and me in teaching us patience and humility. And we'll just just have to go around the same mountain over and over again somewhere else or with someone else. Like there's certain people that will bail out on their marriage so quickly and then they'll, they'll leave that set of problems and get into a new marriage with someone else and get a whole new set of problems. <laughs> right? And you just have to go around the same mountain someplace else or with someone else. God's never going to stop trying to work on your heart. So don't try to bail out every time something is difficult. Okay? Is what I'm saying. Now I want to qualify here. 
that I don't believe that God puts terrible calamities on people to teach people character. I don't believe that. I don't, don't believe that God murders your children or wipes out your finances or stuff like that. I, I don't believe that God puts terrible diseases on people. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring here to the natural challenges of life that we all experience. You know, our struggle against sin and temptation. We all face that. Uh, frustrations and disappointments of various sorts. Uh, people who hurt you and wrong you. We all face those things. We're not immune to those things as Christians. But even if Satan were to be successful in bringing some sort of calamity into your life, listen folks, with God, nothing ever goes to waste. With God, never, nothing ever goes to waste. He will even use Satan's own tactics against him by carrying you through that time in your life and teaching you wisdom and a new perspective in the process. Praise the Lord. Now listen, a really important concept that, that we just need to work into our hearts, therefore, more deeply, is that part of walking with Christ, folks, means that you're going to have to swim against the current of this world for the rest of your life. That's just a truth that you're going to have to embrace. If you want to walk with Christ... If you want to be pleasing to him, you're going to, to swim against the current of this world for the rest of your life. But listen, that's true in a lot of respects. If you want to be successful in life, you're going to have to swim against the current of how a lot of our society thinks. And that's why John Crow said, it takes a strong fish to swim against the current. Even a dead one can float with it. A, a, Old dead fish can flow downstream, but it takes a strong fish to swim against that current. You know, if you were to put a goldfish in the same situation, in the same rivers that salmon swim upstream against, the goldfish would be lost within the first 30 seconds. But a salmon, a big strong salmon, will swim up against that current and jump up in the water and jump some of those rapids. They're incredibly strong fish. So it takes a strong fish to swim against the current. Even a dead one can float with it. So are you a strong fish? Or are you just an old, weak, half-dead one that just goes with the current? You know, I want to say this. Most people would love to be rich and famous so that they no longer have any challenges, or, or so they think. But, look at the screen... There's something about, this is a really key thought right here. There's something about struggling against the challenges of life that develops strong character. you got to get that. And there's something about the removal of those challenges that causes a person to shrivel inwardly. I want to give you an example of that. A few years ago, I read a very interesting article by the ex-wife of Danny Bonaduce. And Danny Bonaduce was the child star in the, the show The Partridge Family. He was the little redhead. And he got that part when he was, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old. And his ex-wife said in that article that psychology is now teaching that at whatever age a person suddenly becomes rich and famous, they remain that age emotionally for the rest of their lives. 
because once they get rich and famous, everybody's catering to them, everybody loves them, everybody wants their autograph, they have really no challenges anymore, nobody opposes them anymore, so life gets really kind of easy at that point, and so they stay shriveled and emotionally stunted from that point forward. So his ex-wife was saying in that article that here she was married to a grown man who emotionally speaking was about 11 or 12 years old. I say that to say this, that truth about the beneficial nature of struggling against the challenges of life is true emotionally, spiritually, and even also physically. For example, um, I'm always reading or listening to um, things having to do with health, and I listened to a lecture recently by a doctor who I really respect who was talking about the health benefits of taking cold showers which I thought was wacky at first, but I really respect this doctor, so I went ahead and, and listened, and I'm glad that I did, because what he said made perfect sense, because he talked about um, being exposed to the cold increases a process in the body called autophagy. And you don't have to remember that term, but all that means is, is the process of the body removing unnecessary and dysfunctional components under stress, and how it actually strengthens the body in some respects. And the same, by the way, is true with plants and even animals. You know, plants and animals go through a process called hormesis. Uh, and when plants are exposed to low levels of stress, it actually causes the organism to gain strength and resilience against the elements. So if you took away those stressors, like changes in the climate and things of that nature, wind and rain and cold, those kind of stressors, if you took all those things away, the, the plant would weaken and not be able to resist the changes around it that could threaten its survival. That's hormesis. So what I'm saying here is that, that struggling against stuff is not always fun, I realize that, but it does create a resilience in us that God can use for greater fruitfulness in his kingdom. And it helps us to become more familiar with our frailties, okay? Thus helping us to have a more friendly relationship with humility. Now listen, that's why husbands and wives need to look at the challenges in their relationships differently. See, rather than being so quick to give up, we who are married need to understand that the challenges in our marriages make us stronger people, potentially, if we look at those challenges and respond to them appropriately. And if we look at ourselves as the imperfect, intolerable people that we sometimes tend to be sometimes. I got a lot of amens on that one. <laughs> <laughs> let that just Simmer. you're simmering on that one let, it, let that one simmer <laughs> yes yes all of you listening to me folks and I include myself in this are sometimes hard to live with okay and you know why that is by the way it all boils down to one thing P-R-I-D-E pride I think our biggest problem, our biggest problem is pride. 
That's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is not sexual perversion, although I'm certainly not promoting that. Our biggest problem is, is not um, you know, lack of integrity in your, in your finances, although I, I certainly think you need to, be, need to have integrity in your finances. Our biggest problem is pride, because pride leads to all these other things you see. The problems in your marriages all come down to pride. See, here's why. We're willing to tolerate so much junk in ourselves personally, but we're not willing to tolerate much in other people. And that's just plain old pompous pride. That's all that is. See, if you and I would understand that other people are in process too, just like you are and I am, then we would tolerate a lot more in other people. Here's an idea for you. Why not be a little harder on ourselves and go a little easier on other people instead of the way that most people do it, which is the exact opposite? We tend to be so lenient on ourselves and very hard on other people, and that's why most people stay unhappy. Listen, folks, pride never leads to happiness. It just leads to more frustration. Should I say that one again? Pride never leads to happiness. It simply leads to more frustration. And for a lot of us, the only way to get to that place of humility is to walk through some of these occasional wilderness experiences that I'm talking about here and learning to trust God through that process because it gives us different perspectives and leads to greater levels of humility. You know, listen... Life has a tendency to paint us into a corner sometimes, especially if you walk with Christ. And the reason that's the case is because if you want to honor him, then there will sometimes be situations that you absolutely cannot get out of and still act honorably. Does that make sense? There's certain situations you're painted into a corner by because you absolutely cannot get out of those situations and still act honorably. Now, you can get out of them if you want, but not act honorably before the Lord. Okay? Is that making sense? So, do you know how to handle those situations? The only way to get through the wilderness honorably is to simply go through it. And here's what I mean by that. When there's no way out, you just have to push on, walk through it, and eventually you're going to come out on the other side if you continue to trust Christ through that process and not do things your own way. And in those times, that's when we really learn to trust the Lord and learn about his faithfulness. So then... We just need to get used to the fact that a truly spiritual person is not one who always knows what's going on around him or her, because a truly spiritual person walks by faith, you see, not by sight. A truly spiritual person walks by faith, not by sight, and is not moved by outward circumstances. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he's in this situation he can't get out of. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But you know what? I'm not going to fear any evil because I know God's with me in the valley 
of the shadow of death. He'll see me through this. That's faith. So just as true then, a truly spiritual person is not one who experiences goosebumps and butterflies all the time either. And again, I'm not against that. Those, that happens sometimes. But a truly spiritual person is one who could walk by faith even when all the outward circumstances would make it seem as though God has forgotten you. And some of the people that we just listed and that you called out a few moments ago when I asked you if you knew of anyone in the Bible who walked through their own times of the dark night of the soul, many of those people were walked through times when God seemed silent and it seemed as though God had forgotten them, but they held on by faith and God brought them through all that. Praise God. So I want you to get this right here. Learning to walk with God, therefore, uh, even when he seems distant and silent, is a mark of faith and true humility. You see, so many Christians, especially the charismatic sort, I include us in that. We're not as crazy charismatic as some of the churches I was brought up in, but we still like to get exuberant and we still believe in you know, the gifts of the Spirit and things of that nature. So all those things are good. But one of the things I find that charismatics in particular will do sometimes is that we're looking for some sort of zap from God. And again, that does happen sometimes, and I'm not against those things. But one of God's tools in your development and mine is allowing us to walk through some of these occasional wilderness experiences, thus giving us the opportunity to learn to trust Him more. And giving us the opportunity also to develop some resilience, grow in humility, and grow in grace for other people, which is part of humility. And on that note, I want to add this. You know, only a prideful person is constantly critical of other people because obviously a person like that hasn't really seen himself in truth yet. Because if he had, he would know that he is just as susceptible to sin as everyone else is. And he would know to give grace just as he has been shown grace. Are we tracking together this morning? Are you with me? All right. I want to read to you out of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 on this point. It says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Wow, how do you get to that point? Rejoicing in our sufferings, knowing that when you do, there's a wonderful outcome on the other side. That's how. Okay, let's continue reading. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You know, I once read a story about legendary football coach Tom Landry, who used to coach the Dallas Cowboys. And he used to tell his players that it's my job to get you to do what you don't want to do so that you can be what you've always wanted to be, which is Super Bowl champions. (laughs) You see, if those players had their way, they may not be quite as hard on themselves, maybe. See, but a coach sees potential in those players, so he works them to get the most out of them. And folks, in a similar way, 
God will give us many opportunities to see ourselves in truth so as to develop in humility and perseverance and also character and hope in God, not ourselves. And on that note, I'm going to show you this quote that I found out of the Coach's Journal, which is not out of the Bible, but it certainly does reflect a, a biblical truth. Great things never come from comfort zones. Great things never come from comfort zones. God will constantly pull you out of your comfort zone to get you to stretch and grow. And when you accept that assignment to stretch and grow, then God begins to trust you with more. Okay? So that's all God's doing in, in you walking through some of these occasional wilderness experiences. He's stretching you, calling you to a higher level. And let me qualify something before I move on. Sometimes the wilderness experiences that we go through are, are the result of our own dumb choices. It's not always just the natural ebbs and flows of life. Sometimes we just make dumb choices and we get ourselves in bad shape and we walk through dark times because of the choices that we've made. Well, we can learn wisdom in that too. And God can take us through those seasons of our lives as well and lead us into a glorious future even when we got our own selves in trouble. Okay? Now... I want to go back to this book, The Imitation of Christ, for, for a moment. I just want to give you some of the hard-hitting truths that Thomas Akempis provides in this book. So I'm going to give you three or four quotes here that don't necessarily pertain to the dark night of the soul, but they certainly do pertain to humility. So, so let's go. First one is this. Those who are little in themselves and do not care about being given honor are truly great. Hmm. That hits us between the eyes, doesn't it? How about this one? Endeavor to be patient in enduring the failures and weaknesses of others, no matter what kind they are. For you yourself have many failings that must be endured by others. Isn't that the truth? All right. Let's go on. The humble, I love this one, the humble enjoy continual peace. But the hearts of the proud are disturbed by envy and frequent hostility. In other words, the, the proud say, I deserve better than this. Whereas the humble just accept what comes along and we try to work through it with God's grace and help. How about this one? God walks with the simple reveals himself to the humble, gives understanding to the little ones, opens the perception of pure minds, and hides grace from the curious and proud. He's referring to what it says in the Bible, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All right. You know, one takeaway that I want you to get out of this teaching today is that God wants us to get to know ourselves better to recognize the areas of pride in our lives that hinders our progress, that hinders our spiritual growth, diminishes our intimacy with God and others, and keeps us locked in cycles of frustration. God wants us to get to know ourselves enough to recognize what's causing those things, and it's pride. See, and I believe that God has been doing that in this series so far, and believe me, He's been doing that with me and he's been doing it for some time now, but especially since I opened this can of worms with this series. How many of you know that a cook 
gets to taste the dish before she serves it up to others. And that's what's been going on, on with me lately. God has been allowing me to taste this dish personally. I mentioned to someone recently how prideful I can be. And that person responded, oh, oh I don't see that in your life. Um, well, it may not be very obvious outwardly to some people. By the way, side note, if you're prideful, there are people that already recognize that. Okay, but some pride can be more subtle. So, so in the case of the person that said, well, Andy, I don't see that in your life. Well, it, in some cases, it may not be very obvious outwardly to some people, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? See, we can harbor inward attitudes of pride that go undetected by us and other people around us, but God knows our hearts, folks. Yeah, and because he loves us, he's going to work with us to help us to reveal the pride in our hearts if we're paying attention. And I pray that all of you are paying attention this morning, because if you are, if you're willing to evaluate yourself honestly and deal with your own pride decisively, then I believe that God is setting you up for some wonderful things ahead. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace, favor to the humble. But listen, if you harden your heart, and you turn away from this teaching, and you say, oh, you know, I don't really have an issue with that. Well, you're going to have to learn all your lessons the hard way then. See, life is going to smack you upside the head and give you the opportunity to see yourself in truth in a much more dramatic and painful way. And it will come. But listen, you don't have to learn all your lessons the hard way, praise God. Deal with your pride now so that God doesn't have to bring the rod of discipline. Remember, he loves you, and like any good parent, he'll bring discipline at times, folks. But that's not God's preferred way of dealing with us. His preferred way to guide us is right here with the wisdom of his word. But if you're stubborn and hard-hearted, he will bring other means to teach you, if necessary. So, if you're in the dark night of, a, of your soul right now, I have some good news for you. I like this quote by Joseph Campbell, who said, the dark night of the soul comes just before revelation, when everything is lost and all seems darkness, then comes the new life, and all that is needed. Praise God, I love that quote. So if it seems like that you're going through the dark night of the soul right now, don't despair and don't give up. See, we've all gone through it. And if you haven't gone through it yet, you're likely to go through it pretty soon. You're likely to go through a dark night of the soul that you're going to have to trust the Lord through. And that's an opportunity for growth, ladies and gentlemen. See, it's an opportunity for the dross to be separated from the silver and for you to rid yourself of some of that pride that's hindered your progress and instead walk in that divine thing called humility which will enable you to, to reach new heights in God, reach new heights in life. So to go back to what Thomas Akempis said, the humble enjoy continual peace. 
Praise God. Well, I want to uh, start coming down home stretch here in a few minutes uh, here with a, a story that will illustrate what we've been talking about so far. And then I'm going to give you a closing scripture and then we're going to pray. Uh, I read the, uh, the true account of a young man named Tracy Bailey who lived right here in Indiana. And his story appeared in Guideposts magazine uh, where um, he describes how he stood in the White House Rose Garden in the presence of the President of the United States to receive the National Teacher of the Year Award. And it was there that he remembered how far he had come. See, 15 years earlier, he stood before a different dignitary, a county judge in Indiana, uh, in the Indiana courtroom, ready to be sentenced to jail. You see, young Bailey went on a drunken rampage with some of his friends and vandalized a high school and got caught and arrested. But at that time, Bailey nevertheless stood before that judge with his head held high, remembering the words of his wrestling coach who said, don't ever hang your head, don't admit defeat. As soon as you do, it's over. Well, that advice might work well in the middle of a wrestling competition, but it, but it doesn't work well in life, does it? Okay? Right. Doesn't work well in life. So, the judge looked at that proud teenager and stunned everyone in the courtroom when the sentence was passed down. Five years in an Indiana youth center, which is one step below the state penitentiary. Tracy Bailey went to jail with his head still held high, however. But it only took a few months for reality to set in. One day, as he sat in solitary confinement in a cell with nothing more than a metal cot, a sink, and a toilet, he realized his awful mistake, and he began to weep. And more importantly, he finally cried out to God. He prayed, God, I need help. I'm defeated without you. And that was the turning point in the life of Tracy Bailey. He joined a prison Bible study and began taking college correspondence courses. And after 14 months of jail, he was released on parole. And after taking more college studies, he eventually became a science teacher in Florida, later honored by the President of the United States for the National Teacher of the Year Award. And with these following words, he summarized the lesson he had learned in life. I bowed my head, he said and tasted victory. Hmm. See, folks, listen. The paradoxical nature of life in Christ, folks, is that you have to go down in order to go up. You have to lower yourself in order for God to lift you up. And so many of God's people don't seem to understand why they spin their wheels all the time and seem to go around the same mountains over and over again. Well, it's because they've not yet come to recognize the pride in their lives. And God will not honor the prideful. Remember, he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, I'm going to end with um, this scripture out of Psalm 40. It's the same passage, by the way that uh, we opened up with 
uh, opened up the service with. I'm going to circle back around to that and read this to you because uh, I think it's a great way to end our time together. Let's read. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined uh, to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up from the pit of despair, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now, the psalmist David refers here to the pit of despair that he was in. And in that dark night of the soul that he was in, he cried out to God in humility. And God responded by lifting him up and making his footsteps firm and putting a song of praise in his mouth. Praise God. And because of that deliverance that God performed in his life, people witnessed that. And he said that many would put their hope in the Lord after seeing how God had delivered him from that wilderness, from that dark night of the soul. So listen, don't get mad at God if you're going through something right now. There's more going on here than meets the eye, folks. In fact, I like what Chris Hardwick said on this point. Listen to this, this closing quote really, really closely. He said, have you ever met someone who has had everything work out for them with zero struggle? They usually have the depth of a puddle. <laughs> or they don't exist. Yeah, that about sums it up. So when we go through things, it creates a depth in us if we respond to it properly. It creates a depth in us that wouldn't happen otherwise. So just humble yourself, lift up your voice to God, and then He, I promise you, will lift you up in due time. Would you stand with me and let's pray for a moment. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.